Hello, I'm Shinya Tao, producer of Some Assembly Required. On March 11th, President Biden signed into law the American Rescue Plan, a blueprint providing Wisconsinites with the support that is needed to get past this public health crisis and restore our economy. Today is April 9th, and in this two-part series, Representative Hintz had the opportunity to sit down with Congresswoman Gwen Moore and Senator Tammy Baldwin to discuss Wisconsin's path to recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and the impact of the American Rescue Plan on local governments. This is Some Assembly Required, a podcast hosted by the Wisconsin Assembly Democratic Caucus discussing what's happening in the state capitol and all things Wisconsin. I'm your host, Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz, representing the 54th Assembly District and the city of Oshkosh. Welcome, Congresswoman Moore. How are you? Hey, so glad to be on Some Assembly Required. Well, uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you, especially as an alumni of the State Assembly. We're very fortunate in Washington to have uh, you know some esteemed colleagues that did time in the Assembly and the Senate and the legislature and even some of my new colleagues on the other side, uh, you know, Congressman Grothman, Congressman Tiffany, and Congressman Fitzgerald. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, how has Congress functioned over, you know, the last year, um, you know, during the pandemic? I think you, you've you all met, you know, certainly more than we have. And, and how's that really uh, disrupted how you do your job? Well, you know, really, we have been very, very busy uh, uh, over the last year. I recall vividly uh, when we first decided uh, to observe social distancing and remarkably, because we were Dems were in the majority, we were able to uh, push through a resolution to do remote voting uh, and remote committee work so as to not disrupt our ability to get things done. And at first, the Republicans uh, were just missing votes and not attending meetings. Uh, but eventually, uh, they came around uh, to, uh, to, to to utilizing these virtual platforms so we can continue to get work done. And as you know, we did a couple of CARES Act bills uh, uh, virtually. We did uh, uh, Ways and Means meetings. And of course, the, uh, the American Rescue Plan, which we're going to talk about. I'm on the Committee on Ways and Means uh, of that whole $1.9 trillion package. Half of it, more than half of it, 971 billion of it uh, uh, was written from the pen uh, of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, And so uh, I can remember uh, a couple of days uh, of just literally sitting in front of a a, a WebEx meetings, getting up only, you know, to go to the bathroom and grab a a cracker with some tuna fish on it uh, for like, uh, you know, 10, 12 hour days. And so uh, we have been able to work very effectively. Uh, we've had uh, we've worked through proxy voting, uh, and there have been times, obviously, when we've had to come in. You couldn't vote by proxy, but we have been able, uh, as Democrats, to continue to push forward despite uh, the pandemic. So let's talk a little bit about that. It's been a little more than two weeks uh, since President Biden signed the. Uh, American Rescue Plan Act into law. Uh, I think individual assistance is already arriving in people's bank accounts, but, you know, state and local government, healthcare providers, you know, other, uh, you know, entities really, um, you know, I think are processing the level of investment and opportunity that that hopefully uh, get us through the 
health crisis, but also put us on a better track, um, you know, for, for economic uh, security going forward. Um, you know, what are some of the important parts or, you know, the investment that was, uh, you know, able to be made in, in, in the Milwaukee area and in Wisconsin in general that you think are important? Well, you know, uh, Leader Hans, as you remember, the big grief that we had was providing state and local governments fun- funding. Republicans nationally were arguing that uh, we, we really didn't want to provide funding to these blue states and blue cities. Uh, they didn't really have a need. They weren't running the deficits that you described. Uh, and in fact, we found a real coalition of, of, of mayors, little itsy bitsy towns in southern and red states who were clamoring for these state and local government funds. I mean, when you get COVID and the uh, fire, uh, the paramedics show up to take you off to the hospital, that's, that's fire uh, and police protection uh, that these cities have been providing. Uh, and we, we, we need to reimburse them because of the point you made earlier that uh, uh, no, Mitch McConnell, it's not possible for state and local governments to go bankrupt, to declare bankruptcy or to not have a balanced budget. Um, and so we, we were able to directly provide $2.6 billion to the state of Wisconsin uh, because of our state and local fiscal um, relief program. And of course, the city of Milwaukee, being a city of the first class, receives $372 million. I mean, uh, Mayor Tom Barrett, uh, he's still walking on air from this infusion of desperately needed uh, cash. Milwaukee County, of course, it deals with all the human services needs, $185 million. And then our school system, of course. Um, one of the things that I thought was the mo- really the, one of the most outrageous demands from Republicans is that we open up schools uh, and they hadn't provided not one square foot of plexiglass to really uh, stand up schools uh, according to CDC guidance, not to mention the older infrastructure in our schools where the ventilation systems are not uh, good. And of course, Gordon, I do know that you want to talk about uh, the Medicaid uh, enhancement program. I mean, we thought this was extremely important, just to name a few of the the uh, provisions of the bill, uh, it would provide a new incentive um, to states like Wisconsin who have not adopted the ACA Medicaid expansion. It would provide a a 5% increase in federal Medicaid funding for those states for two years. And experts expect that doing so would provide these states uh, uh, a huge boost uh, uh, all states, uh, like a $20 billion in federal Medicaid funding, uh, that, that would mean that there'd be about, oh, an additional $1 billion uh, in Wisconsin uh, to reduce the uninsured population. You know, as you know, uh, COVID really, really hit Wisconsin terribly, uh, particularly uh, populations of, of color. Uh, we, we, we had... Uh, only 100% of poverty uh, was supported by Badger Care. So I'm, I'm just wondering what you could do with an extra billion dollars in Medicaid funding 
Well, quite a bit. I mean, I, I think it has been such a crazy year and I think we're still learning so much about this, but I think it's it's been clear to everybody and certainly decision makers at the federal, state and local level um, that, you know, we need to manage the healthcare crisis, not just now, but, but going forward, the public health crisis and that, you know, those agencies at the local level are going to need more resources. Um, you know, it's such a it's such a great opportunity, and I'm hoping we'll take it. I got to ask you, um, you know, my colleagues on the other side, Speaker Boss, in, in right away kind of said that they are not going to take it. You know, that they view this as welfare and uh, you know keeping people in a, a cycle of poverty. I, somehow, I've got a speaker who says that we, you know, we're not going to expand Medicaid and we're not going to raise the minimum wage, and then you know claims that those programs keep people in a cycle of poverty. What do you think it's going to take, you know, for Wisconsin legislative Republicans to accept, you know, the federal funding that could be used to expand health care or maybe free up state dollars to pay for other things? Um, if you're living at 100 percent of the poverty level, uh, please be clear, you're living in extreme, you're living in deep poverty. Uh, anyone who is uh, uh, and, and many families with children are living in extreme poverty. If you're at 101 percent of the poverty level, you are poor. You are too poor. Uh, 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 and you could be working for $7.25 an hour uh, if you're lucky, the minimum wage, or you could be working for $2.13 an hour tipped wage. Uh, two, I'm sorry, $2.18 an hour tipped wage, working like a dog and still not be able to access health care. It is not well and it is not fair to deny people who are so vulnerable and who are, as we now know, essential workers, working every day in our nursing homes, in our restaurants, delivering our groceries, uh, working in our uh, 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 meat packing plants and, and grocery distribution centers and Amazon centers. They're working every single day uh, and they deserve some health care. Now, I remember, when, and this is all ideological. I remember when Scott Walker was in office and we first passed a quote unquote Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act. I remember that putting a $250 million hole in our state budget. And now Wisconsin's could get a billion dollars extra uh, if it were just, if we could nudge them toward uh, providing it. You know, and so just to make a declarative statement that we don't want welfare is really unsustainable and it is not explanatory for why you would deny uh, health care uh, to people who are uh, in dire, dire need of this support. It's leaving money on the table and it will have a, an impact on our state budget. It seems like while all of this you know, COVID was, was unimaginable, um, you know, I think prior to a year ago, uh, for many of us, the experience um, with COVID seems to have even highlighted um, some of the existing inequalities that exist, uh, you know, whether it relates to, to access to broadband, given how much, uh, you know, virtual role was going to play in everything from employment to, to schools, to, to telehealth, um, but also to who was disproportionately impacted. Uh, do you think 
the inequalities that existed that were um, really uh, highlighted by COVID played a part in the significant investment in the uh, recovery plan? Oh, absolutely. You know, broadband is now the yellow bus uh, at this point, given the numbers of children uh, who practically all children were displaced uh, at some point during this pandemic. And I know, you know, my cable bill is very, very high. And I, I thought about all those families who, who who didn't have consistent, regular broadband, the infrastructure uh, and the capacity uh, to pay for it, where hotspots didn't work uh, as well. And of course, the funding that we're providing for schools does allow them to do a rigorous catch-up program, tutors, summer programs, things we absolutely are going to need because it did have a disparate impact on low-income households and families, um, and all families, quite frankly, because there were, you know, people whose parents uh, were essential workers and they couldn't be at home to monitor their kids, and so their kids didn't regularly show up on on the screen, uh, even when they uh, had broadband and Chromebooks available to them, and so. Uh, the monies that we're providing to the public school system are absolutely needed to save a generation of our of our intelligentsia. And I just want to remind people that we're only 5% of the world's population in the United States. So we're not going to make it by producing widgets. We've got to produce the next generation of intellectuals that invent things like the, the Internet and, 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 and so on. What's been the biggest distinction in terms of working with the new administration after, um, you know, the, the four years with the Trump administration? Well, I, I, transparency and honesty has been very, very important. You, you know, these are things that you kind of take for granted. Yep. Uh, and every single day uh, we hear uh, people from the former administration sort of admit to us, you know, like De- Dr. Deborah Burks, for example, being the latest person that. They were not uh, that they think hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved uh, if people in the administration were allowed to be honest and straightforward with people and to to uh, to take the aggressive interventions that were necessary to stop the virus. You know, I am so grateful that, you know, this president has doubled the numbers of vaccines that he claimed he would get out in the first 90 days. It's been the first you know, what, 50 some days, and he's already reached 100 million uh, uh, shots in arms, which is extremely important for us getting uh, our economy back, uh, our health back. People, are, there's still a thousand people a day dying. I want to remind you of that, Gordon. It's still the number one cause of death in the United States. We're seeing uh, the, the another wave of this virus uh, upon us. And so, so to have transparency, to see a president that's working aggressively to tackle, uh, to, 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 to war on this pandemic, uh, instead of lying and tweeting, uh, has been such a relief. For all of us, uh, being able to sleep at night may be one of the better, uh, <laughs> better things. Um, what are you looking forward to most once we're able to talk about uh, the current COVID-19 global crisis in the past tense, uh, just in terms of what's impacted, you know, you and your family and your life? Well, you know what? I am so eager 
to get onto the Build Back Better Boldly um, platform that Joe Biden has rolled out. We cannot just, you know, I don't want to return to normal, Gordon. I don't want to return to pretending that $7.25 an hour is, is enough uh, for uh, someone to stand up uh, being able to feed themselves uh, and live somewhere. I, I don't want to go back to having, you know, millions of 10 million people uninsured at any given point. I, I don't, I don't want to go back uh, to uh, 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 not having a comprehensive immigration system. You know, I'm, I, as you know, Gordon, I was a member of the state legislature, both the House and the Senate. And I, um, uh, after 12 years, after 14 years of being on the Financial Services Committee, where I was able to do many things with regard to uh, uh, our financial crisis and housing, I elected to go on to the Ways and Means Committee so that I could deal with uh, uh, poverty and, and public welfare. And so what I am really looking forward to in our Build Back Better program is the number one uh, to, at some point, reform welfare in a way uh, where we can uh, really and truly lift people out of poverty, give them opportunity, and not lock them into poverty uh, by time limits and drug tests and hitting high marginal rates, but doing things like expanding the child tax credit, giving people a basic floor of income for children, for expanding the earned income tax credit so that we can target those folks that Dr. Uh, uh, Liz Theo Harris and Dr. William Barber, co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign, call uh, low wealth people, 140 million Americans, you know, so that we can look at students as being eligible for the earned income tax credit, that people who do caretaking can get the earned income tax credit, that we, now that we understand who essential workers are, that we actually treat them like workers and, you know, like Amazon workers, uh, you know, bring back people's ability to form unions and for them to have family leave and benefits and health care and have a life of dignity. You know, 70% of our economy is based on consuming. So that if we don't give people enough money, we don't have a sustainable economy. So I want to develop a good workforce, uh, a build on, uh, on what we have done in this recovery package uh, and really look forward to, by the end of this year, seeing our economy grow. You know, you've had an amazing career public service. And again, I have an affinity for those who served at the state level, uh, you know, before heading into Congress, because you have that experience. Um, I know you were already in public service. I think you worked for the city of Milwaukee prior to to first running for state assembly. Uh, can I ask you, I mean, did, is this what you envisioned for yourself? You know, having a career at the national public, uh, in the national political scene and uh, serving, what are you, are you in your ninth term? Is that right? Oh, who's counting? <laughs> I, yeah, tell me about it. Hey, I, I quit counting. I just say, uh, yeah, it's been a while. So. Yeah, uh, ninth term. We can keep it at that. 14, 15, 16th. Yeah, this is my, my ninth term. And I'm so proud to be there. No, the, the short answer is no. This was not my vision of what my life would be. And one of these days, I'm going to learn how to tell the story 
in a much shorter uh, tense. But I, but, but I will say that my career started out working for the, the Community Development Social Development Commission. Uh, I worked for many nonprofit organizations. I worked for the city of Milwaukee of the Department of City Development as a housing developer. I then went on to work for the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, WIDA. And I ended up, uh, when I became a legislator, being on their board. Uh, but I did, I was a VISTA uh, volunteer, uh, organized the Community Development Credit Union from scratch as a VISTA volunteer, became the VISTA volunteer of the decade, got very involved in, in seeing the next generation of civil rights had to be related to money. You know, people like John Lewis, they were my heroes for fighting for the right to vote, fighting uh, for public accommodations to be able to sit at lunch counters. But I realized that the next generation would, would focus on finances. And that's why I got very involved in uh, low-income housing tax credits, subsidies uh, for uh, developing decent, affordable housing, uh, putting together this community development credit union from scratch. And that's been an organizing principle of my legislative experience. Uh, even when I was in the legislature and I dealt with uh, uh, angel investors and uh, dealt with uh, 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 equity financing, I, I got very, very involved. You know, people think of me of the welfare queen. But I was very involved in financial matters as well as a state legislator. Uh, my organizing principle was always to leverage resources like, for example, my uh, I'm very proud of a, a program that I put together with insurance companies where, where they can make equity investments uh, uh, in small businesses. And so uh, my organizing principle has always been the little guy or the little person just needs a shot at the American dream. Uh, and so, no, I didn't always want to be a legislator. I started out as being president of the student council, vice president of the student council. I was always dragged, kicking and screaming into running. And, and, and I was the uh, co-chair of Black Organized Youth. It was a, a, a citywide uh, program on getting Black history. So I, I just was uh, uh, you, you know, I felt compelled to leave. Uh, when I finally ran for office, uh, it was because my mom said, you ought to run. And I said to her, no, you're nuts. I'm never going to do it. Uh, and she kept bugging me to do it. And I told her, there's just no way I'm ever going to do that. She died 18 months later, I had a dream of my being there with former majority leader Dismas Becker. And I was standing next to Dismas Becker saying something, uh, and it was muted. I didn't know what I was saying. I woke up, and then um, a, a couple of months later, Dismas called me, asked me to run for his seat in the state legislature because he was going to run for the seat, which ultimately Brian Burke won. Uh, I told him, absolutely not. I would not do it. He came to my job. I was working for WIDA and my boss was a Republican. Uh, and I got dragged into my boss's office saying, why were you talking to the former majority leader? You're not on the government relations team. You're just a worker here. And I said, I was not talking to him about WIDA business. 
I was, you know, he was asking me to run and I said, no. That next day he came back and asked me again. And my boss's uh, uh, Republican administrative assistant brought him back to the cafeteria over there at WIDA. And um, he asked me to run. And as soon as I said yes, I started projectile vomiting all over the cafeteria and screaming to my mother, leave me alone. I don't want to run. That was 1988. And I've been elected ever since. You know, in, in all of these jobs or your current job, I mean, what is the, you know, what part of the job is most like you thought it would be? And maybe what surprised you the most, um, you know, in terms of what you thought maybe working in Congress might be like? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Gordon, I, I was really surprised when I got to Congress that we didn't have assigned seats. And that, is, that still, is that still true? <laughs> That's still true. We don't have assigned seats. Wow. I, I was stunned by that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was also stunned um, by the, the one minutes. I have been chastened by the one minute remarks uh, that you can only that typically I remember the first time uh, Dave Obie, former Congressman Dave Obie, yielded time to me. He was then the ranking member of the Appropriations Committee. And the, my very first maiden swan speech, he gave me 30 seconds. Uh, and so uh, I was used to being able to filibuster in the Senate. And uh, and uh, so now I have learned how to say what I've got to say in one minute. And it's very difficult to do, but I've been chastened by the one minute rule. Uh, and it really takes time to think about what you're going to say. And what's also very difficult is that you really do have to narrow your interests, um, you know, you don't get to be on seven or eight different committees. Um, you know, so I'm on the Ways and Means Committee and I spend an awful lot of time, I, you know, an awful lot of time with that jurisdiction. Uh, and you have to work with other people to get other elements done. But I mean, I work on, I'm on the Social Security subcommittee. I help put the child tax credit stuff together, the earned income tax stuff together, the economic impact payments uh, unemployment insurance checks out, we just sort of run out of energy. The the Butch Lewis pension reform bill. <laughs> and so uh, uh, other elements of it, I am really meeting with other people and relying on them to help me put those other pieces together. I have a, I have a very, very ambitious infrastructure package that I want to put together and workforce development package so that we can deal with the lead laterals here in Wisconsin. You know, we have just in the city of Milwaukee, 25,000 cases of lead uh, uh, poisoning between our housing stock and these lead pipes a year. Uh, and I want to put, so I'm working uh, with uh, uh, Chairman uh, DeFazio uh, and Chairman Pallone uh, on wastewater and safe drinking water. And I will work with a Marsha Fudge from HUD to try to get something in our Build Back Better program uh, that will deal with lead, along with working through the subcommittee and the Ways and Means Committee on worker and family support to try to put together a training program. So you really, it, you really do have to work uh, uh, across jurisdictions because one initiative uh, might have be under the jurisdictions uh, of several committees 
and you really do have to work. Uh, what I've learned in the last year during this pandemic is that, boy, um, some, you know, the room that used to be my dining room, I've taken the dining room chairs to the basement, people, uh, because I've got the printer set up. I've got paper everywhere. I've got filing cabinets. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I get in several meetings that I would not be able to get in if we were doing it uh, 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 in person. So the the virtual uh, forum has been a drag, but you sure uh, the volume of work is still there. We are going to pivot a little bit more to this is called the speed round, Congresswoman. So you don't get too much time to deliberate on these. Um, some of them are, you know, give you a little chance to answer. The other ones you have to choose. Um, you fly to uh, Washington back and forth. How do you use your travel time between, uh, you know, Milwaukee and Washington? I try to study, but I'm always next to some chatty person. And uh, and the minute they start chatting with me, then I chat back. I'm a, So I don't know how that's going to work post-pandemic, but typically... I have met so many people on the plane and I'm a really chatty person. Um, your son, uh, my colleague, Representative Supreme Moore uh, Omukunde is now a member of our caucus. What advice did you give him um, before he joined the legislature? You know, the advice that, that I gave him is to, uh, you know, to, to make sure that he is doing it, that he is for the people. One of the things that was, uh, you know, one of his, that was his mantra. You know, when you start feeling like you're, it's all about you, uh, then this is the wrong profession for you. Before he even ran, I asked him to really examine himself. I told him, I said, you're going to be in the minority. Uh, and so really think about, you know, why you're doing it. Uh, uh, because it's going to be a battle and a fight. And if you, you know, I, I, tell, I tell him, look, if you want to be famous, or something, then you need to take a different road. If you want to be rich, uh, that that you know, I'd be very proud of you. That, but that's a different path. Uh, this is a very public service is about the public first, and it and it's a very peculiar path. And make sure that this is the one you want to take. Do you have a pre-session, you know, hype song? Do you listen to any music to fire yourselves up, or or fire yourself up, or do you not need any motivation? Well, you know, typically. I'm watching the debate either from a television set uh, because, you know, even now voting remotely, uh, I'm watching C-SPAN, watching to make sure my proxy is voting the way I told him to vote, (laughs) Uh, watching the debate. So and and of course, I talk to the TV, you know, uh, if I think someone is that you're lying, you're lying. (laughs) <laughs> and I say amen, <laughs> you know, uh, and so I uh, I watch the proceedings uh, uh, and uh, so my ritual is to just keep up with uh, with the debate and uh, uh, and and make sure that I'm there on time. What about uh, nights that you're there late? Uh, you said 1 a.m. What's your favorite late night session meal? What's your go to when you just need the comfort food in, in D.C. that you're going to call? Well, I guess chicken wings. My chief of staff has determined that I don't eat too many carbs. So chicken wings is one of the things I can have. Is there a go-to spot in Washington? Yeah, I go to the club, the Democratic club. 
Okay. Uh, which is which is near my house. Uh, and uh, so chicken wings would be it. Uh, would you prefer someone to speak on the floor too loudly or for too long? Well, I tell you, there are people who don't seem to be able to hear the gap. <laughs> well, yeah, I asked, I had wrote, I wrote that question before I kind of heard about the one minute limitation. So. Right. But there seem to be people who, who, who cannot hear the gavel uh, and they, they talk too long. And, and uh, I don't mind. And if people are talking loudly, you know, uh, if they're saying something, uh, then that's important. You know, there's I, I think the most effective people, speakers are people who who prepare so that they can stay within the time limit and, and, and make points. It is it, it's really uh, uh, there's a lot to be said, but I think it's a gift and a talent to be able to stay within the time frame and make all your points. We, we, we have been, I can appreciate that. We've certainly been working about, you know, quality over quantity. Um, favorite Dem politician, uh, either alive or deceased? One of your favorites. Well, I mean, somebody who was never elected. I love Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, she was the, she was the first lady. And I, I, I just adored her. I adored Lyndon Baines Johnson. Um, I, uh, of course, I adored Obama. Uh, I, uh, I adored Phil Phillips. Mm. Uh, I adored Bar Lloyd Barbie and Marsha Cobb. Um, and Becky Young. State Fair or Summerfest? Summerfest. Uh, what's the, what's your favorite place in Wisconsin outside of your district? Door County. Door County. Door County. Got yeah. it. Um, Bucks or Brewers? Oh, God, that's hard. God, Bucks. It's always tough on my Milwaukee representatives because, you know, they need to try to please everybody. But... That is not fair. That is just unfair. All right. Well, how about Kringle or Cream Puff? Oh, Kringle, absolutely. How about sweet corn or popcorn? Sweet corn. Should pizza be cut in squares or triangle slices? Triangles. If you had to live in any Wisconsin season for all 365 days of the year, which season would it be? Spring. What's uh, What was your first car? My first car was a car that I nicknamed Payback. And it was, <laughs> it was a, like a Ford Rambler. And uh, I was missing school a lot. So my teacher sold it to me for a dollar. And it had a big hole in the in the floor. Um, but uh, when it was like, uh, and everybody laughed at the car called Payback. <laughs> and when a, when a friend of mine, matter of fact, he was an administrator in Marquette. It was like, you know, below zero. And his Cadillac would start up. Guess who he got a ride home in Payback? What is your favorite song to karaoke to? Private Dancer. Al Green or James Brown? Oh, God. That's so hard. I guess I guess James Brown. All right. What's the best concert you've ever seen? Uh, the Rolling Stones. All right. Um, Florida or California? California. All right. Well, you have survived, and this is it for the uh, this episode of Some Assembly Required. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Assembly Dems W I. Uh, that is assembly-dems-w-i. I would like to especially thank our guest, Congressman Gwen Moore. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. You bet. Some Assembly Required will be back next week with Senator Tammy Baldwin. Until then, this is Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz.